Welcome to today's podcast from Coastline Calvary Chapel in Gulf Breeze, Florida. We hope this message encourages you and brings light into your life. So as we pick up the story in Romans chapter 9, I want to remind you of some of the, the well, the themes that Paul's dealing with. He's dealing with the law as well as the grace of God. He's dealing with the Jew as well as the Gentile. He's speaking about the sovereignty of God, and he talks about the free choice or free will of man. And I want you to hear this. Please tune in. We're all impacted, we're all shaped by our heritage, by our past. You are your parents' children, whether you like it or not, right? And, and the culture and the environment that we're raised in impacts us. I mean, if your last name is Kathy, and your father is Dan T. Kathy, who's president and CEO of Chick-fil-A, you could probably stop at a Chick-fil-A and get some free chicken strips and some free sauce. That's a perk. You're a Kathy. Or if your last name happens to be Schultz, you might get a free latte with an extra shot at Starbucks. Well, biologically, based on your heritage or your physical lineage, you'll not get any perks from God or the kingdom of God based on who you were born to, where you were born, or what your background is. Now, many believed it would. The Jews would say this, we're sons and daughters of Abraham. Our God is the God of Isaac and Abram. We're one of the chosen. Well, remember what John the Baptist said on the shores of the Jordan River. He, he said this, and he said, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And don't begin to say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham, and there must have been some river stones along the Jordan, he said, from these stones. And it's easy to think when you have from childhood been told by your father and your grandfather and your mother, well, you're chosen, you're special. You're born physically into this lineage, this heritage. I was born a Catholic. I was christened as a child. I was baptized as a, as a boy in the Presbyterian church, or, or, or my dad was a pastor, or whatever it might be. It's not how you're born. The, the most important question, the question is, have you been born again? That's the, that's the big question. That's the one you have to know. Jesus said to a Jewish teacher, one uh, son of Abraham, one who was known all over Jerusalem, he, he made this statement to him in John chapter 3. Look, look what he said. He said, that which is born of flesh, I'm sorry, it's just flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now I want to take you back into our text 
And we're going to review just a little bit chapter 9, and we'll start with verse 6, because Paul will take this verse, and he will weave it through the rest of this whole chapter, dealing with these very specific questions about who's a Jew, who's a Gentile, who's spiritual, and who's just trusting in their heritage or their background. Romans chapter 9, verse 6, but is it not that the word of God has taken no effect. It's not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Paul will make this statement, and he will just expand on it through the rest of the chapter. Paul says, we have a people, yes, we have a nation, we have this Jewish heritage, and within that nation, is a remnant of people that Paul would call, and I think the Scripture would define as people of promise and people of faith, not people of heritage because they were born Jews. And here's what he's saying. Not all are God's people just because they're Jewish. Not all are sons and daughters of Abraham just because they're born of Abraham. He spoke about Isaac and Ishmael, if you remember that. And he said, the promise actually goes to the secondborn, not the firstborn. And God would later say to Abraham, maybe you remember this, take your son, Abraham. And then he would say this, your only son. Oh, whoa, wait a minute, God. He had two sons. He had Ishmael and he had Isaac. But God says, take your son, your only son. And when he says that, he's speaking the only son of promise. The only son from which the Messiah will come. The only son of the spirit, not of the flesh. And as we have gone through this, and it was not this last Sunday, but the one before, we looked at this in context of God's sovereignty and man's free will. Look at verse 14. What shall we say? Is there unrighteousness or is God unfair? And, and he has this to do with, the, he talks about the Gentiles didn't keep the law, they didn't know anything about it, and yet they're made righteous by faith. And here you have the, the, the Jews who kept the law, the feasts and festivals, and they're not made righteous by keeping the law. Well, what's, was God unfair? What's going on? For he says to Moses, verse 15, I'll have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whomever I'll have compassion. Now, he's dealing with this whole thing about what's fair, keeping the law or not keeping it, and he keeps going. He says in verse 15, for he says to Moses, I'll have that mercy, verse 16, so then it is not of him who wills, not of him who keeps the law or works hard or who runs, but it's about God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose I've raised you up that I may show my power in you and my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills and on whom he wills he hardens. And we'll talk a little bit about the Pharaoh. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist God's will, his sovereignty, his greatness? But indeed, O man, who are you the question is asked, to reply against God. Will the thing formed say to him who is formed, why have you made me this way? 
So here's the context. Let me, let me have your attention. Well, God's not being fair. God's not being righteous. And so the name Pharaoh is brought up. And the hardening of his heart. Well, God hardened his heart. That's not fair. Pharaoh didn't have a chance. But here's what really happened in Scripture. After several, several miracles, God finally dealt with Pharaoh. He went to him over and over again and said, let my people go, let my people go. Giving Pharaoh an opportunity to soften his heart and let the Israelis leave Egypt and go to the promised land. Till finally, after a certain point, God said, okay, Pharaoh, I will confirm what you have chosen. And here's how God's free will and sovereignty kind of works. What you have decided, it was Pharaoh's choice, his free will. God gave him lots of opportunities. So God, by his sovereignty, said, I'm going to honor your free will. And I'll let you harden your heart because you can choose to reject God. And here's the deal. He will let you, just like he let Pharaoh. And in, and in verse 21, it says, Does not the potter have power over the clay? from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor. Now, now, let me have your attention because this is an interesting passage of Scripture that deals with the potter. It's talking about God's sovereignty, but it's also talking about we have a free will. And I want to share a little bit about that today. God, as you probably know from the book of Genesis, He made you and I out of dust, Right? God made man out of dust. In fact, in Psalm 103, verse 14, for he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. God did not start with a monkey. In fact, if you think about it, in many ways, man made a monkey out of himself. That's really what he did. God formed us out of dust. And if God is the potter, that's his sovereignty, and we are dust, he, he breathes in his spirit, which is many times in Scripture, spirit is, is uh, illustrated by water. He, he takes that dust and breathes in his spirit, and he begins to take that mud and fashion it into whatever he wants to fashion, a beautiful pitcher, a vase, a bowl for Fido, whatever he chooses. The potter, listen, the potter has a purpose. He has a plan. But the clay and the dust, you and I have a free will. And this is illustrated long before we ever see this. And I believe, I believe that Paul is referencing back to Jeremiah chapter 18, where we have this amazing story about the potter and the vessel. The potter, the one that shapes and fashion, is really God, and the clay is Israel. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise, go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the will. And the vessel, and this speaks of Israel at that time, that he made of clay was, was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. Now, now, let me have your attention. Once again, God's the potter, Israel's the clay. 
And Israel became marred in the hand of the potter. They disobeyed. They rebelled. They, they had free will. They, they did their own thing. And God, the, the potter, said, well, I'll still make them an important vessel. I'll still shape and restore them and give them their land because God's a God of restoration. God's a God of redemption. So he takes that which has been marred, and in his sovereignty, he makes it into what he wants it to be. Now, the sovereignty of God sometimes scares people, and it kind of goes like this. Well, if God is, is sovereign and, and, and he, can, he can do what he wants to do, and, and I surrender my life. Let's say I surrender my life to the power and the sovereignty of God. Well, what if he sends me to, like, Africa or China where there's a virus? I mean, it's like we think if we really give our lives to God, God will mess it up. Because we would never mess it up, right? <laughs> if we were in charge of it. But if we give it over to God, oh boy, God might mess my life up. And we're the ones that can't see 12 feet in front of ourselves, and God sees everything. So boy, why would I surrender to God? The sovereignty of God would be scary. Listen. It would be scary if we didn't know the heart and the character of God. If we didn't know God's love and His Word. I mean, we've just seen recently in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, this. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. So if God the great potter can work all things together for the good, then why would we not trust Him and surrender to Him? That makes the sovereignty of God exciting. It makes the sovereignty of God filled with expectation. And even if I mar myself, so to speak, like Israel did, if I blow it, he can still fashion and shape my life into a useful, beautiful vessel. If you watch a potter, they've got the clay and they're working it, and you have no idea as you watch them, man, I wonder what he's making. What it's going to look like, what the shape is, what the color, what the design, you know, what's it going to be? And God does that. I mean, I have, I have three kids, lots of grandkids now. But I remember each of my children, I dedicated them to the Lord. And I said, Lord, I'm giving them to you. Now, I'll do my part based on what I think your word says and what you've asked me to do. But Lord, I want you to mold them, I want the, you to shape them, and I want you to fashion them according to your desire, because I'd mess it up. God, they're yours. And, and God has a design and a purpose and a plan for you, and he has one for me, right? And, and you discover it by yielding your life to his touch, to his spirit, to his word. And the question is this, will you be rigid? Will you be marred? Or will you say, here's my heart, Lord. I surrender it to you. Lord, you know so much more than I do. The sovereignty of God is awesome. It's the thing that you, when you, when you know his heart and you know his word, you say, I can trust him. I can surrender to him. And, and this is what... Paul's talking about 
not trying to keep the law and do it all on your own, but surrender to the righteousness of the Lord, even though you may have marred, even though you may have blown it. It's not by work, it's not by heritage, it's not by you trying to be someone. Trust Him. Believe in Him. Obey Him. And in, in verse 21 does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and one for dishonor? What if God, wanting to show his wrath and, and make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessel of wrath prepared for destruction? You say, well, whoa, what's, what does that mean? God prepared vessels for destruction? Wait a minute. And that he might make known the riches of his glory, verse 23, on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for his glory. Now, let me have your attention. This passage is not talking about creation. Did God prepare by creation from the very beginning vessels for wrath and destruction? No, when God created Adam and Eve, he created them sinless. He gave them a perfect place to live. There was no wrath on their life. But he did say, I give you free choice. You can do whatever you want to do. All I'm asking you is not to eat of that one tree, that one fruit. And the day you do, you'll be marred. The day you do, you'll, you'll die. They had God's image, and they disobeyed. And yet God still showed his mercy in many ways. The idea here is God shows his mercy to us who have chosen to be under wrath, who have chosen to sin instead of choosing obedience. We have vessels of wrath who have chosen to reject him. We have vessels of mercy who've chosen to receive him. It doesn't say God prepares them. They prepare themselves just like Adam and Eve did. He, however, in verse 23, prepared us for glory, and he offers mercy and grace. It says in verse 24 that even us whom he called not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. He offers us grace and mercy. And, and then he says something very interesting. He says in Hosea, verse 25, and he's speaking to both Jew and Gentile, I will call them my people who were not my people. And her beloved, who was not beloved. And I will come to pass in the place where I, it was said to them, You are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. God says, I'm going to call even the Gentiles, they'll be my people. Isaiah also, verse 27, cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. For he will finish his work and cut it short in righteousness. Because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. You say, John, what, what is this? Paul the Apostle writing this, talking about the Jews, the Gentiles, grace and law, free will of man, sovereignty of God. He, he, is, he's, he takes this amazing skill of his because he knows the Old Testament as a rabbi, as a Pharisee, better than you and I will ever know it. And he lays Hosea, and Isaiah together, he overlaps them with his understanding of Scripture. And it says this beautiful story of redemption that if you ever read the book of Hosea and Gomer, where God restores. But also Isaiah, where God would return his people from captivity into his favor. 
and there'll be a, a remnant that will be saved, not only at that time, but he says he will make a, 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 a short work upon the earth. He's speaking of a future time when God will deal with Israel, open up their eyes again in a time that's still to come, I believe not far away, during a time of tribulation, when all the earth is going through a time that they've never seen before, God pours out His Spirit on the Jews and they awaken to their true Messiah. I, I was, you know, many of you were here Wednesday night and Ray Bentley was here and he flew out um, Thursday morning and he was in Houston and he texted me. He said, John, have you seen this? And I thought, oh boy, what's Ray got now? And he had a picture from the Israeli Times newspaper of an altar with a lamb on it, and it said, because of Trump's peace treaty, who's trying to bring peace to Israel between the Muslims and the Jews, and, and there's a whole background to this with the Saudis versus those in Iran and how he's trying to work that out, Trump is, that the Muslims are considering allowing this Passover with the new Sanhedrin and the peace treaty for the Jews, and they've got the altar, it's all made out of stone, there can't be any metal, it's according to the way it was in the temple. They may allow them for the first time in over 2,000 years, this was in the Israeli times, to sacrifice a lamb on top of the temple mount. Now that's amazing, because if they do allow this, I would submit to you that it's the first step of something that the Jews have longed for for 2,000 years, and that is to begin a place to rebuild the temple and make sacrifices. And God is speaking of this, I believe, here even in Romans. And God is speaking to the world and the nations through Israel. And I encourage you to come out on Wednesday night and hear what's going on and, and, and see what God's doing in these latter days. God's people rejected the Messiah. They were marred in His hand. And the potter is working on the vessel and raising up and, and birthing the church at the same time, Gentile and Jew, and he's bringing it together in a phenomenal way in these end days. If you look at verse 29, for he will finish the work. He'll cut it short in righteousness because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as Isaiah said, unless the Lord of Sabbath had left us a seed, we would have been like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? God's not finished with Israel is what he's saying. The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law, had not attained it. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith. It was all about their works. It's all about their heritage. It's all about their biology. But as it were, by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone, and that was Jesus. They stumbled over him, as is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, the rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Paul is dealing with the Jews, listen, who rejected Jesus. He's saying if the Messiah is Jesus, the one who fulfills all the Jewish prophecies, and the majority of Jews missed it and rejected it, and the Gentiles who knew none of the prophecies and did not keep the law, accepted it, what's the deal with that? And, and Paul says, well, there'll be a remnant. As it was prophesied, the Jewish nation would reject, 
But God would make out of the two a people, Jew and Gentile. No law, no heritage, but made righteous by faith. They missed the Messiah. But hey, I'm a Jew. Doesn't matter. Hey, I go to church. So what? I've got a, a, a study Bible. Doesn't matter. It's possible to be numbered among God's people, but not really a believer. Well, I go to church. I'm a good Christian. What does that mean? Spiritual life is not based on your heritage. Doesn't matter if you're Catholic or Baptist or no physical heritage gives you an entry into the kingdom of God. It's a spiritual birth. The whole sovereignty of God and man's free will. So, so God chooses me, but I got to choose him? Yep. So, so God knows everything. He knows who's going to be saved. He knows who's going to come into the kingdom, but I still have to choose? Yeah. See, if you try to understand this whole God knows everything and man's free will, it'll fry your brain. It just will. See, I look at it this way. I'm limited in knowledge. God is unlimited. God knows the future. I can't find my keys half the time where I put them. I can hardly remember the past very well. I can't get my head around his sovereignty and man's free will. Somebody said it like this. If you try to explain it, you might lose your mind. However, if you tried to explain it away, you might lose your soul. God's sovereignty, man's free will. So, so I accept it. He's the potter. I'm the clay. There's these two great tensions held, held in the Scripture. God's sovereignty, man's free will. And one thing I believe, however, that's very clear in the Bible is that we have a heart and a conscience, and we realize that we're responsible for our actions and our decisions, that there's consequences to it. We just know that. There are eternal consequences. There are earthly consequences. And you and I, without Christ, are preparing ourselves for destruction without Him. And you know what? Here's what I found out all through my life. I'm pretty good at preparing myself for destruction. Most people are. From the day they're born. Have you ever watched little kids? They would destroy themselves if you didn't watch them. I kept a couple of little kids recently with my wife for a week. They would not exist today had we not watched them every second. They couldn't open doors. That was our saving grace as, as well as theirs. Because we closed every door. Because if we didn't, they would be into everything. They'd be in the toilet with their head in like this. <laughs> they would. They'd be dropping stuff down there. They'd be sticking forks and plugs. And in many ways, you and I are like that. Jesus said it this way. Whosoever will can come to me. Really? Well, don't you choose? Yeah, I do. I choose you. But you've got to choose me. That's what he says. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Well, why don't you just come on in? No, you got to open it. Then I'll come in. Really? Well, you're bigger than me. You're stronger than me. Well, I won't force myself on you. I knock. If you hear my voice, whosoever will may come. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe, trust, he'd have life. Paul loves the Jewish people. But he knows it's not by being a Jew that you have spiritual life. 
In fact, as we move into chapter 10, look what he says in verse 1. He says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. You know, I've had the privilege and the awesome honor to go to Israel nine or ten times. And one of the most amazing places to go is to that western wall. They used to call it the Wailing Wall. But it's that wall that's right by the Temple Mount, and it, it goes up to the Temple Mount, and there's a, there's a rabbi's tunnel next to it that all these rabbis are there studying constantly the Torah, and they, you can go back into this, this tunnel that takes you underneath the temple, wall, the temple Mount, and there's great stones there that were part of the original foundation of the Temple Mount. It's It's, it's amazing. And you stand outside by that wall. You, you get to go up to it and pray. There's a women's side and there's a men's side. And you have to cover your head and you go up. And all these Orthodox Jews are praying there. And all these tourists are praying there. They're putting little prayers in the wall. You've probably seen it. And I've been there many times and gone up and prayed. Put prayers in the wall. And one of the prayers I like to pray is this prayer. Chapter 10, verse 1. God, for Israel, that they may be saved. And I think that Paul is not just desiring. I love this verse. It says, my prayer, my heart's desire and my prayer is that Israel might be saved. Paul's not just desiring, but he's also praying. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Join us again as we dive into the scripture, going verse by verse here at Coastline Calvary Chapel.